For the inaugural episode of Closing the Loop, it is a genuine honor to introduce to you a highly respected Bitcoiner and dear friend of mine who goes by the name of Gigi. Gigi is a father, educator, meme artist, author, philosopher, and someone who is fully committed to serving the Bitcoin project and seeing it succeed. He curates the website bitcoin-resources.com, where much of the top Bitcoin content can be found for anyone seeking to get up to speed. His first book, 21 Lessons, is a fascinating and rich exploration of the many things he has learned from falling down the proverbial Bitcoin rabbit hole. His forthcoming book, 21 Ways, is a highly anticipated work for someone who has come to be considered amongst the most appreciated thinkers in the Bitcoin space for the incredible depth of his understanding of the subject and his ability to articulate it in such a digestible yet profound way. Gigi has committed his mind, body, and soul to Bitcoin. As one of my closest friends, I couldn't be happier for the success his dedication and passion has manifested, culminating most recently in his position as lead developer at CT. In this conversation, we discuss what makes Bitcoin so special and some of the motivations behind and plans for this podcast series. Enjoy. All right. Well, Gigi, the first episode of Closing the Loop. How about that? Yeah, how about that? Hey, John. Um, so I guess thanks for having me, even though I, I had some... Uh, you had some say <laughs> in the matter. <laughs> I had some say in the matter as well. Yeah. Um, no, excited to start this thing off. And um, I hope uh, it will be useful to a lot of people. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sure we will have some interesting discussions going forward because currently... Bitcoin is living through a very interesting moment. And uh, I think just the world is at a very interesting place. And I can't wait to hear where these conversations will be going and what we're going to talk about in the next, you know, six to 12 months from now. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for the podcast and all those conversations as well. And even though you do work with CT, I can't think of a better person to have the inaugural episode with because... You are, you know, a living embodiment of so many of the, the characteristics and principles that Bitcoin represents and that this podcast is going to be about and the themes that we're going to be discussing. I mean, I really can't think of somebody who espouses them uh, more genuinely uh, than you. So uh, this is the perfect way to get this thing started and set the tone for all the other conversations, I think. Yeah, thanks for the kind words. I, I don't uh, think of myself as a very special person. I just learned a lot from other Bitcoiners. And I think there are Bitcoiners like myself all around the world. And some some of them are well-known. Some of them are more in the background and uh, uh, lesser known. Uh, contrary to popular belief, there are a lot of Bitcoiners outside of Bitcoin Twitter as well. And there are a lot of people working on Bitcoin and Bitcoin-related things that are not like they don't have a, a, a high profile or a, a large public following or anything like that. And I think that's also something that we want to highlight uh, here at Closing the Loop, uh, talking to people that are actually doing the work and working behind the scenes and working in sectors that are related to Bitcoin. But a lot of people currently might not think that these things are related to Bitcoin. So the energy sector, for example, or privacy technologies and things like that. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of what I would like to call closet Bitcoiners around the world that are just very, um, not only intrigued, but already deep down the rabbit hole and uh, are just kind of silent about it because it's still, it's still early and it's still a, a weird thing to 
um, kind of sacrifice your life for. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I think we are very close to this cultural inflection point where a lot of people will realize that Bitcoin is actually the most interesting thing that's going on in the world right now and is actually a solution to a lot of the ills that are uh, plaguing society and a lot of the, yeah, also there are a lot of problems with the internet currently and I think Bitcoin can actually fix a lot of these problems and I hope we are going to talk about these kind of things in this podcast. Yeah. Before we discuss that and also the genesis of the podcast and kind of more about the why, uh, for people that aren't familiar with you, maybe some kind of a background on your motivations, your entry into Bitcoin, why you're here is warranted before we get into all that stuff. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> I should have seen this coming, but uh, I, I'm actually not. So um, hmm, why am I here? I think what most people don't know is that I have a, a, a very deep and prolonged background in software engineering and I worked for the dark side for the longest time. So for like five years plus, and I did a lot of interesting network research, um, for like almost seven years at the university level. And I thought about doing my PhD in, in these kind of topics, uh, around networks, network systems, and like the, um, next version of the internet kind of, uh, which was called the semantic web. Some people might know about this and it's, it, it relates to, um, ideas of how can we make computers and networks understand what people want and how people think and how can we teach computers how to make sense of this world kind of. So all of these are very hard problems and Google solved some of them and some of them remain unsolved. And so my, my background is in computer science and this is in, in, in part why I'm here. Most people know me as an author in the Bitcoin world, which is kind of funny because I, I didn't contribute too much uh, on the software side yet. I contributed mostly to education. And so most people know me because I wrote a small book called 21 Lessons. So that's my claim to fame, I think, in the Bitcoin world. And uh, I'm still educating and writing because I think Bitcoin is still so misunderstood that the best or one of the best things I can do in my position is just um, educate more people um, around the nu nuances of Bitcoin, but my main motivation to be in Bitcoin is, um, I understood a couple of years ago that Bitcoin is one of the most profound technologies that humanity ever invented. And we don't see so many transformations on this level, on a societal level, um, for humanity, basically, like I would, I would argue maybe the, um, you know, <laughs> electricity is at a similar scale. The printing press is at a similar scale. Um, the internet itself is at a similar scale and because technology is speeding up and the adoption of technology is speeding up, I think Bitcoin is especially important because it won't take a hundred years for a Bitcoin standard to emerge. It won't take a hundred years for people to adopt Bitcoin. It will take, I think like, you know, 10 years is, it was my estimate, like two years ago. So we have like <laughs> eight years left. I'm sticking to that, you know, like 2029 <laughs> is my, is my estimate of uh, something that approximates a scenario where most commerce and most things that touch on value um, will run on Bitcoin rails. So we'll touch 
Bitcoin in, in some shape or form, just like with information today, everything is everything that has to do with information, it touches the internet in some form or another. And I think a similar transformation will happen in the coming years and will happen quicker than the internetification of the world happened. And um, like that was a very long ramble on my background. But as I said before, I, I worked for, for the dark side kind of, and I wrote uh, software for, um, uh, yeah, basically automated identity detection systems. And uh, you, you could call it surveillance, I guess. So border control and things like that. And so I'm very privacy aware just because I worked in the anti-privacy industry for quite a long while. And I think um, the path we are currently on as a society is not necessarily a good one. And I think this is also something that Bitcoin can help fix. You, um, you don't necessarily need to give up your privacy to interact with others and society in general never works this way. You know, if you're going to the newsstand at your corner, you don't have to scan your passport to get the newspaper. You just hand over a, a dollar bill or whatever, and you get the newspaper. And the same is for most interactions. You know, you don't need to uh, <laughs> give up your DNA or a stool sample or your identity. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know, um, I, I think, I'm, I'm laughing about that because that's the direction where I, I actually think we're heading, you know, like this is a, a, a one way street and there is no going back from this intrusive practices. So I think it will get worse and worse. And I can see, uh, I can see a future where you actually have to give up your biometrics as well. I mean, we're already halfway there and, um, I think this is not a good thing because this data history shows that government agencies and other large players are very bad at protecting this user data. And so I think this is just very dangerous for users and for society in general. And this is in part why I am in Bitcoin. I think um, Bitcoin is this, it, it spans up this area of freedom where you interact with a very simple protocol in a way, and it does not require a lot from you. It only requires um, to to transact in Bitcoin. You only require it, it only requires of you to produce a valid signature. That's all it needs. And this might sound technical, but you you don't need a government ID. It doesn't need your face. Like everyone and anyone can use Bitcoin. That's why it's so beautiful. You know, Bitcoin cannot discriminate. It's Bitcoin is truly for for everyone and anyone. Even computers can use Bitcoin, you know, and and like uh, bots can use Bitcoin, and uh, machines can use Bitcoin, and pets can use Bitcoin. You know, like there is this. <laughs> some people might know, like some Bitcoiners might know. There is this uh, website where you can uh, feed chickens using the Lightning Network, and you just you 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 give those checking some sense and uh, you know some some uh, corn or something will pop out at the other end of the world and you can watch on the webcam how how the the chickens will pick it up and they you know like they're in some sense they're using they're using bitcoin and i think that's a beautiful thing last question about your because i want to pull the string on what you just mentioned a little bit but just i think we might be speaking to a lot of people maybe new to bitcoin or newer to bitcoin in this podcast what was the thing that initially attracted you to Bitcoin before all of this became apparent? What was the thing that hooked you in? 
Oh, it, it took me a very long time to get hooked. I, I didn't understand Bitcoin <laughs> in the slightest for the, for the first couple of years. I laughed about it and dismissed it for the first like two or three years straight. And um, so I, I had my first contact uh, very early because some of my colleagues uh, yeah, got interested in Bitcoin and uh, worked on the quote unquote blockchain technology. And I, I was just laughing about it for the longest time because I think it can never work. You know, it's a computer system and I thought I knew my computer systems and all computer systems are insecure all computer systems can get hacked and so i didn't understand how how bitcoin worked but it just you know it's the same story for most people like it, bitcoin doesn't die and then you hear about it again and you hear about it again and it's still not that you know it's still working and people are still using it and so what the hell is going on and i started to look into it a little bit deeper um a couple of years after my first contact and uh it's what what got me interested at first is i understood that this is a an insanely resilient system. And I think that that for me was interesting just from a, um, not only from a computer science perspective, but also from a societal perspective, because I'm, I'm very interested and always have been in the intersection of society and technology. And for example, I thought, I think that torrents are a very interesting technology as well. You know, peer-to-peer -peer file sharing systems. You can just uh, like dis disregard the, the, the usage of, of torrents for a second. But if you need to get a lot of data out and you're you're a dissident or a journalist or something like that, you can make use of these systems and nobody can stop you. And I think that's that's very interesting. You know, like it it has it, in the in the early days where YouTube didn't exist, a lot of computer gamers used those systems because they had no other way to transfer large files. And uh, nobody could stop them to create their own like TV show using these torrent systems, you know, because you you had large files, large video streams, uh, how we would call them now, and you could just broadcast them to the world and nobody can censor you and stop you. And I think that was very interesting. And so for me, the first step was to understand that Bitcoin is something like BitTorrent for, for money and nobody can stop it. And I didn't know anything about money. I didn't know anything about Austrian economy. I didn't know about any, anything uh, about economics in the first place. I didn't know anything about the history of money or the properties of money. So all of that I had to learn while falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And for me, first and foremost, it was an interesting technology that cannot be shut down. And so this un unstoppable nature of it was something that I grasped very early and what, what kind of hooked me in. And everything else that, um, you know, realizing that our a lot of our societal problems are because our money is broken and that reverting to a sound money standard um, uh, fixes a lot of these societal problems. This came way, way later after years of study and after reading a lot of you know economics books and reading up, uh, like <laughs> I was just trying to catch up with all the Bitcoiners that saw this already in uh, you know, 20, 2010, 2011. Um, uh, there were some that uh, studied their Mises and Rothbard and, and other um, uh, yeah, Austrian economists for the longest while and then stumbled into Bitcoin. For me, it was the other way around. I understood the technological aspects of it first and had to learn the economic aspects of it later. Yeah, we, we were talking before we started this kind of what did we want to touch on? And we talked about freedom and sovereignty and privacy and energy. And I think for people first coming into this space, it's not apparent how all those things are related to Bitcoin, you know, because if they understand Bitcoin to be a new form of money, digital currency, uncensorable currency on the internet. It's not, you know, maybe they see it as a currency or as an investment, but all those other tangential things don't seem related or they seem unrelated. They don't even seem tangential to them. 
And so, you know, I think part of the motivation of the podcast, and it'd be great to hear your take on this, of this podcast is to explore all those different things that are related to Bitcoin and how Bitcoin does preserve and enhance privacy and sovereignty and, and the, the plethora of options that are becoming apparent that it permits, you know, and as the technology develops and as entrepreneurs do their thing with this system, how the, how solutions to those issues are being developed. And I think part of the motivation for this podcast is to explore what those solutions are and the people building them, and then to have the podcast itself in certain cases, be a representation of the solutions that are possible uh, as a result of the, the existence of this network. So can you maybe expand on kind of those things? Yeah, I think everyone kind of knows that some aspects of the internet are broken and um, we don't have the same freedoms online that we have uh, in in what I would what I like to call meet space so if you if you meet uh, in in <laughs> in the real world in a park somewhere you uh, if you live in a free country you have the freedom of assembly for example and this is not necessarily given in cyberspace this is not necessarily given online uh, most people online congregate around these large platforms be it twitter or facebook or youtube or what have you and uh, there's currently because of the centralized aspects of these platforms there's a lot of moderation and outright cens censorship going on and this might be um this might be for you know the people that are doing this and building these systems and initiating these kind of moderation policies, they might think they're doing it for the right reasons, but the, the effects of it are always kind of questionable because the problem always is like, who is, for example, saying what is, what is uh, allowed to say and what is, uh, you know, what is hate speech and what is not, what is, what is okay. What kind of images are okay to, to be posted what, and whatnot, what kind of discussions are okay to be had and, and what are not okay in, in the real world. We don't have this problem. If you, like if, if you gather in private, you can discuss whatever you want, you know, like, uh, and in free countries, we have freedom of speech. So you basically can discuss whatever you want. Of course, there are exceptions to that as well. You know, there's the, the go-to example, you're not allowed to cry fire in a crowded theater. So there are some limitations, but still, I think, um, I think everyone kind of knows that some parts of the internet are outright broken and um, it doesn't seem like it's getting better. It seems like it only gets worse kind of, and some like I just mentioned freedom of assembly um, for, for Bitcoin and Bitcoin is of course, one of the things that is probably most broken is uh, payments online. It, there, there was no way to do micropayments ever because just the payment infrastructure is so inefficient. You cannot send someone online like a fraction of a penny because the overhead cost is way too much. Like to send someone one penny, it, it will cost, you know, like 50 cents. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense. And so on online, a lot of the business models that emerged, the thrive on advertisements and targeted advertisements which is basically made possible by surveillance technology so you, you you surveil and spy on your users and you find out their interests and you find out like you profile them and so you hope that you have a higher conversion rate with your ad advertisements than just with the spray and pray approach and this actually works that's why you know facebook and youtube and and all the other uh, tech giants are multi-billion dollar companies you know some of them even trillion dollar companies <laughs> and uh so this is the prevailing business model of the internet and uh, i'm of the opinion and a lot of bitcoiners i would say are of the opinion that this is this must not be the only business model that works so um i think thanks to 
thanks to Bitcoin and the emerging technologies built on top of Bitcoin, just like the, the Lightning Network that we mentioned before, uh, we now have ways to do direct payments without any intermediaries and also do really small ones at that, you know, like micropayments exist and micropayments work. They work on Bitcoin. And so what this enables is new business models and just new ways of giving back to creators and uh, to businesses and just to content producers and uh, how, however you want to classify those people that produce value online, you can give back value directly over the internet without, without having to do any kind of um, you know, like setups with your bank or just, uh, you don't, you don't have to sign up for any services and, um, it's not only direct, but as I said before, it's without any third party, without any intermediary. So it's, it's something that can't be canceled by the powers that be. And I think this is very powerful and very important because, um, I, I, I think the more, the more truthful public discourse we have, the more direct interaction we have between individuals, um, the better society will be in general. And I have a lot of faith in that because I just see it springing up all over the place, you know, not only in the Bitcoin community, but also there are so many niche groups currently forming online that are doing amazing things. And you can actually, uh, like you, you can actually earn a living doing what you love. And I think that's, that's that's a beautiful thing because the market is so large. Like if you're if you're um, <laughs> I don't know some some DJ that is into some weird electronic music that only maybe like two thousand people in the whole world listen to. If you stream this online and you you produce value for your couple of hundred listeners, you don't need a lot of people that give you like five five bucks a month to um, uh, yeah to to earn a living and to do what you love and uh, just produce value and get value back. And I think this is also the main idea around the, um, the model that we are trying right now with podcasting 2.0. It's the value for value model that if someone produces value, you can use Bitcoin to give value back directly. And um, we see in the ecosystem, this kind of trend emerging now where um, a lot of Bitcoin wallets and also podcast players implement these new features where you can listen to an episode and instead of like clapping in the real world, you press a button and clap using Satoshis, which is the smallest unit of Bitcoin. So you, you basically can uh, throw a, a, a couple of cents in, in someone's direction. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think it will revolutionize the internet in many different ways that we can't even see yet. Like, I think it's very hard to, to think about it in the right way because we're still so early. I think, um, we, we will be wrong about a lot of things, uh, looking back at this conversation in the next five years or so, but I think the trend is clear that, um, there is a need for direct interaction, direct conversations, and there is also a need for protocols that enable the basic freedoms that we have in the quote unquote real world, um, that we have these freedoms also in cyberspace, which is like the, the freedom of assembly, for example, the freedom of speech, and also the freedom to, to get paid, paid for what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I think in many cases, given the way the world is going today, Bitcoin is actually going to like in a more enforceable way, instantiate those, those, rights, let's say, and bring them back to perhaps where they might have been in the real world. 
you know, because the last 18 months has given us lots of examples where, you know, rights can be uh, dismissed if there's sufficient cause. And Bitcoin is, is something for the first time where they're not just a permission. You know, sometimes I think about rights as just, you know, temporary permissions. And really the only rights you have are the ones you can defend. If you can't defend them, then they can be taken from you by whoever is the one that can, you know, overpower your defenses, let's say. And I think there's many cases of that over the last 18 months, whereas Bitcoin now uh, brings the power back to the individual. So at least on a certain domain of things, and I think this will continue getting broader and broader as solutions are built on top of Bitcoin, but it now is, it's the right to say no, right? It's, it's, it's the ability to preserve and defend your rights in a far more effective way than ever before. And what's so exciting is to see how that's going to bleed out into other areas of the digital world and the physical world as a result of that being so so strongly the case with Bitcoin. Yeah, I I I, I would agree with that one hundred percent. I think um, it's interesting how Bitcoin also transforms your understanding of what actually uh, is a right and what kind of rights do you have and um, uh, what Bitcoin enables for yourself as well. Um, it's 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 a very empowering technology. Once you understand what Bitcoin provides and is able to do, um, it is very difficult to not feel empowered once you understand what Bitcoin allows you to do, because basically you can store your money in your head. That's the, the main example that uh, I like to give and a lot of Bitcoiners like to give as well, because Bitcoin transforms money in a way so that it is pure information. And an information is nothing else than an idea. So Bitcoin is like the, the money of ideas, so to speak. The, it, it lives in the realm of ideas. And if you if you can manage to uh, learn by heart 12 words, like your, your seed phrase of your Bitcoin wallet, then you can actually store all the wealth that you have stored up in Bitcoin in your head. There's no, no one who can stop you from from keeping your your wealth intact you know like you, they they will have to torture you and try to get these 12 words out of your brain there is no other way around it like there's no technical solution to this problem you cannot break into any safe or you cannot uh, just grab it by force and steal it so i think this is a very powerful technology just for that reason alone but of course you know there's also the the um uh the the transaction aspect uh, a bitcoin transaction is nothing again it's 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 basically again in the, in the realm of ideas it's nothing but text you know it's it's just you can you can encode a bitcoin transaction uh, in a series of emojis so just take like i don't know how how long it will be but probably like 25 emojis or something and i can send you these emojis on on whatever side channel i i choose you know like on some messenger like whatsapp or signal or telegram nobody has to know that this is a bitcoin transaction you decode it on the other end and you broadcast it and i that's how i send you the money for example and all of these ideas are very very powerful and uh, i think most people don't realize yet how powerful these ideas truly are because they think that bitcoin can most people still think i believe that bitcoin will go away or it can be shut down or um you can do something about it you know like if someone wants to stop it then they can stop it but it's very similar to trying to stop a powerful idea because that's actually where bitcoin lives bitcoin first and foremost is an idea and is speech and it's very hard to stifle speech especially in free countries and all of this all of this makes me insanely optimistic because bitcoin is such a transformative technology on a societal level and it's such an empowering idea it's such an empowering technology and i think that um 
Bitcoin will serve those best who need it most. And I think we can see this already and we see it like play out now in real time. You know, the, the, the big news of the last couple of weeks was, was of course the first country moving to a Bitcoin standard. And uh, we're talking about El Salvador, of course. And I think uh, countries that do not have the luxury of a strong currency, they will benefit from Bitcoin a lot. Like the citizens of these countries will benefit from saving in Bitcoin a lot and also from transacting in Bitcoin. And I think the same can be said, uh, like looping back to the conversation of um, how the internet is kind of broken for a lot of people. I think those people um, that are currently on uh, on the margins, maybe, you know, that uh, you might be a political commentator, you might be a dissident, uh, you might be working in an industry that is um, not accepted by the platforms where you might want to advertise um, your services or your goods. Um, I think they can benefit a lot from this empowering technology that is Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We, we live in a world where so often the way to penalize someone is to take their money or, uh, keep them from accessing their money or, you know, it's a fine, it's a, it's a, you know, some, something like that, some way to cut people off from their money. And, and that Bitcoin represents something without an intermediary and therefore a, a money that you're completely sovereign over yourself, that the only way that other people can get it from you is if you voluntarily give it up. I mean, it seems like such a slight change to, you know, maybe people that haven't considered this very much, but as we've been discussing, you know, the implications of just having, making that small change is, you know, really staggering. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that's a very underappreciated aspect of Bitcoin that it's purely voluntary. You know, it's an opt-in system and there is no coercion whatsoever in Bitcoin. Like you, you can join the network uh, if you want or <laughs> you can you can also there is a nice um quote by satoshi i think it i think it was even in the white paper it might have been in an announcement or in the white paper but it is some very old writing and uh, he mentioned that nodes can leave and join the network at will because you can always like you don't have to always be there you can uh, rejoin at a later date and still get up to speed and uh, know what happened in the network and verify everything for yourself so it's it's a very beautiful property of the system and it, it also speaks to the to the optional non coercive nature of the protocol because um, all of it is optional like um you can make use of bitcoin if you want to um but you don't have to you know like it's it's an an, an optional system that can be used by those who need it and i think that's very beautiful because um uh, a lot of bitcoiners and just in um, money in general is uh, money and violent violence are are very intricately related. You know, if you look at all the all the big wars that were fought, fought the first thing uh, an army does when it invades another country is plunder the gold reserves, basically. And so, having an, a, a non-violent money, having a purely optional, non-coercive, voluntarist money as an alternative, I think it's a, a very slight change, as you are saying. Like it's it's a very nuanced change, but I think it's a very powerful change nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, when I think even getting into Bitcoin, people start to realize like they, they, they own Bitcoin and they custody it themselves. And just that act, I think then causes them to kind of see the juxtaposition of the feeling of, Oh, I'm completely sovereign over this thing. And then you look at other areas of your life and you see how you're not. 
And maybe for the first time that that contrast is impressed upon you because you'd never had something to compare it to before. But when you have this complete sovereign ownership of something and then you compare it to how your relationship to your social media provider or to, you know, your other financial institutions or to issues regarding your health or, or what have you, and you realize how ultimately dependent you are on that intermediary, you know, for what you can say you know, what you can spend, where you can spend, you know, what you're allowed and not allowed to do all of these things. And it's just to, I mean, it's just so staggering to me that that one little morsel, that little seed of sovereignty in, in the money is what's blossoming into freedom and sovereignty in all these other domains, right? That this, that this network has the ability to convey that to those, to those places. And, and like you said, like, we'll look back on this because we can't see it right now. We can't see all the solutions. We'll talk about how this is bringing greater, you know, privacy and sovereignty to communications and to content creation and monetization and that kind of stuff. But we don't see it right now in all of the different domains, but you know, the, as a premise, when you remove the censoring the, the, the intermediary and the ability for that intermediary to censor your action when that's gone, then what you have is a vacuum of freedom, right? And it's only a matter of developing the right solutions in order to amplify and facilitate what you can do with that freedom, you know, and that's, what's so exciting about this and that, that we, we, we stumbled upon, we have something here that we can build upon to establish greater sovereignty and freedom in probably every domain of our life, even though at the moment, it, you know, it's still very narrow. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a reason why a lot of Bitcoiners call Bitcoin the freedom money. You know, it, it truly is the freedom money because you're free to do with Bitcoin what you want. Bitcoin, it, it brings back, like it, it gives back the power to the individual. As you say, like the, the first time you actually hold Bitcoin for yourself. So you self-custody Bitcoin, you hold your own keys. That's a very powerful thing once you understand what you're doing like you only you know this information and only by knowing this information can you transact these bitcoin so you by by having full control over this information you have the power to move this bitcoin anywhere on earth like send them to whomever you want and um it's uh, uh, we always like to say, you know, like uh, getting into Bitcoin is a journey. And I think that's profoundly true. It definitely is a journey. Like you, you have to go through a couple of steps to truly understand what you're dealing with and you have to acquire your first Bitcoin and you have to self-custody it for the first time. And uh, you have to run your own node if you are serious about it, because nobody can tell you what Bitcoin is. You have to kind of define it for yourself and enforce the consensus rules for yourself as you like, <laughs> again nobody can tell you what bitcoin is you have to you have to um come to terms with bitcoin for yourself and decide what is bitcoin for me and this is the the set of consensus rules that i run and that i am willing to use and if other people agree with you you can transact with them that's that's what it's all about again there is at the root of it there's this um non-violent purely voluntary uh, agreement between individuals between nodes that built up this network and i think that's that's a, a very very beautiful thing and again um, as you said you know bitcoin fixed the money and it it brings back the power to the people and i think that a lot of people that realize the profundity of this are currently working 
on higher layer solutions to fix those issues that we mentioned um, for, for example, media distribution, for um, connecting people in cyberspace, for um, also identity online, for example. That's that's something that's very near and dear to my heart because um, uh, it it might be it might be um, difficult to understand for some people how these things relate. But if you interact with the Bitcoin network, you already have an identity. It's just not a passport mandated by a government, but it is, you know, your private keys, for example, like your private keys, some sort of identity. And um, using these networks and using those identifiers, there's no reason why we cannot use that to log into, for example, a movie streaming service or something like that. Like you don't, why are you forced to give up your real name and your address and uh, your bank details and some other things just to watch a movie? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like, and it never was like that, you know. Like, if you if you go to 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 some place to to buy a movie or to rent a movie, it's it's just you know, <laughs> you hand over the cash and it's your movie and you can watch it. And and why did we move away from this? Like, to me, in my mind, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, there is there there are some historical reasons and there are some technical reasons why we kind of had to do this. And again, it it all loops back to um, the business models of the internet. Uh, I think in, in large parts, but. There is a future of us where we can revert to uh, quote unquote the good old days where you don't have to um, uh, hand over your passport data basically to just watch a movie or do something online. And I, I'm I'm very optimistic because I know a lot of the people that are working on that, and I uh, already have a glimpse into this future. I uh, know what's technically possible right now, and I think I can imagine what will be possible in the next like four to five years, even let alone ten years. Like I, I I'm having a hard time imagining the four or five years that are coming but uh i think i think a lot of interesting solutions will pop up and i think a lot of those solutions are already being developed and i hope that we will be able to highlight some of those solutions and talk about them and just bring them to a wider audience and showcase them and uh, just let people know that these kind of things exist and it's also in the power of the people and this this includes all everyone who is listening right now you know like nobody can stop you in uh, uh, from creating your own podcast for example and just setting yourself up so you can receive streaming payments right now this is something that works right now you can get paid like by the second by the minute it depends uh of course on your content and your audience but the technology is already there and this already exists and i feel like almost nobody knows about it yet it's just it's it's still so early and there are so many like so so few people that actually know that this already works and exists and i hope this will change in the coming months and years yeah, well, it's definitely the case that very few people know about it. I mean, it probably only came on the Bitcoin scene radar three to six months ago, really. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And that's a tiny, like the, the hardcore Bitcoin crowd is a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of people, you know. But I think like so many of these things, and Bitcoin is obviously the greatest example, is like when you have something with certain attributes that the context of the environment in which it emerges has created the value. So for example, the fact that fiat currencies all over the world are going to shit or be inflated away and that there's no, you know, that the money, as you said, is broken, that creates tremendous value for something like what Bitcoin represents. And the same is true for censored communications. When people are being 
you know, kicked off of YouTube or their podcasting platforms or whatever, because they said the wrong thing politically, or they said the wrong word or whatever that creates demand for something that allows people to speak freely, you know? And so the fact that those tools are being developed now and that lightning and, you know, Bitcoin and lightning is being used to do it in a very unique and sustainable way. That's, what's really exciting that, you know, cause then it just becomes a matter of time. It becomes a matter of, well, you know, how, when will people catch on that it exists and how kind of slick and easy to use is the solution? Cause that's always a, a factor, but you know, those, as those things get developed, if the problem is big enough, people are going to come over to it, you know? And, yeah. and as far as, you know, that's, I think one of the, the goals of this podcast, both from a promotional perspective and from a, what this podcast represents is to try to be an embodiment of what those solutions actually are. So maybe it's a, a good segue into you kind of describing what the motivations were from CT side for this podcast in particular, and you know, what kind of the ambitions are. Yeah. Um, I, I really like what uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, Alex Svetsky, is uh, saying about this all the time. There's like two reasons why people uh, learn and, and come towards Bitcoin. It's uh, either through curiosity or through pain. <laughs> right. And I think what you outlined, just, um, you know, people getting deplatformed or uh, your national currency uh, just going down the drain. I think that's the, the pain part of the equation. So if you are getting deplatformed because uh, you said the, the wrong thing uh, or you used the wrong word to describe an issue, um, then you are in a lot of pain, especially if um, like this is your livelihood that's at stake. And similarly, if you are living in a country where your currency is just not working correctly anymore and not holding your value um again the, the the pain because of those circumstances will inevitably lead you into harder assets and into bitcoin eventually i think and um so i think the the, the hope for me personally is that through education and talking about these things we can reduce the amount of pain <laughs> in general and just move the people towards the curiosity side of the spectrum and i think i think um there are a lot of awesome things currently happening in the bitcoin space that are well worth talking about and um to be clear we are not there yet. So Bitcoin is still a very young technology. It's like we, we're, we're just past like the, the 12th birthday. So it's like 12 and a half years old now. And it's still misunderstood by most people, I think. And there are still some puzzle pieces that need to be built out. Like um, I, I, even though I always like to say the Bitcoin standard is already here, it's just not evenly distributed yet. But it also, it, it cannot be it cannot be evenly distributed yet because we still need to build out the infrastructure. We still need to build out uh, the payment rails. We still need to build out uh, all the, the solutions that we discussed before around identity, around uh, even streaming payments, you know, like um, while it already works, I think, um, you know, like almost 9 billion people switching to it tomorrow. I think uh, <laughs> it won't end. It, it won't end well. I think it, it won't, it won't scale just like the internet never scaled. You know, I think this is not, this is not a, a bad thing. It just needs, needs some time to develop. And uh, also in terms of scaling, whatever 
uh, a network like this can handle, um, the, the demand will be filled automatically. The same was true for the internet, you know, like at, at one point in time, it was only able to handle text. And so that's all what people did. And then it was able to handle images. And so this demand was filled up quickly. And now the bandwidth is at the point where everyone can stream 4k video 24 seven all the time. And so that's what people are doing, you know, and I, I, I'm sure in 10 years from now, we will have even, um, more bandwidth and, uh, higher resolutions. And, uh, I don't know, like, 3d holographic streaming what have you <laughs> i don't know what will come but um if if the capacity of something increases people will make use of it and the same will be true for bitcoin you know like now we have these streaming payments and people are starting to make use of it now we have the lightning network and people are actually building solutions around micropayments uh, now the first solutions around um authentication on the lightning network are popping up and people are building their first services where you can actually i mean of course these are now niche products where you can uh for example do like micro trading on the lightning network and you authenticate actually with your lightning node uh, using allen url and uh, all of these things already exist but again there are a lot of puzzle pieces that still need building and i think we as ct we are interested in identifying these missing puzzle pieces and do our best to help um, build those puzzle pieces and um, i think this is all across the, the spectrum of the Bitcoin world. So on, on the very low level spectrum, this is about mining and building mining infrastructure and uh, making sure that mining is decentralized and the security of the network is decentralized and across multiple jurisdictions, um, making sure that stranded energy is used wisely and uh, used, used well to support the network and also um, build synergistic solutions for energy producers. Um, like I, I like to view Bitcoin on, on, on the energy side of things as the buyer of last resort. So it doesn't matter where the energy comes from. It doesn't matter where on the earth it is. If you plug in, like if, if you have a Bitcoin miner and like a satellite uplink, there will be a buyer for this energy. So it doesn't matter if you're in Antarctica or in some volcano, or it doesn't matter where you are. <laughs> if there is some energy and you have no one else to buy it, the Bitcoin network will buy it. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And it helps like, like you don't need a lot of imagination to see how this can be useful for energy producers and uh, just energy grids in, in, in general. And on the privacy side of things, I think there are a lot of, interesting developments in the Bitcoin world as well. Uh, I think one of the main criticisms uh, from Bitcoiners of Bitcoin is that it isn't truly private, like it's pseudonymous. It's not, uh, you're, you're not completely unknown when you are interacting with the, with the Bitcoin network, you're leaving some traces. And I think um, there are some technologies in development right now that will try to improve this situation because um, I think as, as most people would agree, um, like surveillance, mass surveillance, and uh, especially mass financial surveillance is not something uh, you want to have on a societal level. I think this is a very dangerous game we're playing um, because the like what what is what is legal and what is not and what is like um, okay and what isn't it can change in a heartbeat. And we've seen this in history over and over and over again. And I think we need. Um, something that behaves like cash. And I think there is a reason why historically speaking, uh, cash transactions were the, uh, like the most used transactions throughout any society. Uh, we need this organic emergence of, um, yeah, voluntary peaceful interactions between humans for societies to flourish. And I think on the privacy side, there are a lot of 
promising moves being made in the Bitcoin world, uh, sometimes on higher layers, sometimes in the base protocol itself. All of this is um, quite complicated and, and, and technical. So uh, there are some like <laughs> the truly big brains, I would say they are working on, on, those, uh, uh, on those things. And just in general, um, I would like to, I would like to work on things that are kind of um, maybe niche and necessary. You know, I think decentralizing um, mining protocols, for example, um, privacy technologies, identity solutions on higher layers, those are the things that I'm personally very interested in. And I think most people don't even realize that these are problems in Bitcoin and that they might be worth being worked on. And so personally, that's what excites me most about Bitcoin, that um, there are actually ways to solve these issues. And uh, yeah, we are just getting started. So I think the, the road ahead is very bright. You know, it strikes me, you know, because I keep thinking about this podcast and that we may, we're probably going to be speaking to or reaching some people that are fairly new to Bitcoin, right? And it, it I, you know, I kind of smirk when I think how people, most people will, will understand Bitcoin to be a money and an investment, right? And then they come in and they listen to a conversation like this or any of the many conversations that happen in Bitcoin. And, and I think CT, you know, if you read their shareholder letter from our discussions, from the genesis and purpose of this podcast, you start to realize that, you know, this is a movement in, in, you know, when, when people talk about it, then you, you know, you don't hear people talk about it in terms of how it works in your portfolio and expected return. What we talk about is what this means for human freedom, effectively for human freedom and human flourishing and what different components that it helps to support. Like we've been saying, like privacy and like, uh, ownership, you know, total, uh, ownership, uh, you know, the, the way that it changes energy dynamics and what that means for human movement and settlement and that kind of stuff. But you know, the fact that this is a movement and that so many people are on board and that so many of the people that get involved in this thing, they're so self-motivated because of what this represents. You know, the financial consideration is usually of secondary concern and sometimes, you know, deeply secondary. You know, I, you know, the, the speech, you mentioned the, the El Salvador announcement, the speech that Jack Mallers gave at the conference in Miami recently, I mean, you could, I mean, he was crying when he was giving the speech and he was because he was filled with passion and emotion for what this represented, you know, and, you know, it's funny because at the conference, I didn't hear one person talk about price. I mean, we're, we were all having a good time and meeting each other and laughing and, you know, just enjoying uh, connecting with one another. But what do you, I guess, how do, how do you explain what this movement, how do you explain this as a movement when people come in and say, Hey, I thought this was just about the money. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question because I like, um, the people I surround myself with in the Bitcoin world, uh, I think it's definitely true. The money is absolutely secondary. It's about fixing the money. It's not about making the money, you know, right, like it's, right. we want to solve the issues that are, uh, currently plaguing, um, uh, the internet and society in general. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in the internet side of things because the internet is very dear to my heart. And I think it's, um, uh, um, a net positive for society and a tool worth preserving. And I think we, I see it as my own 
like moral obligation to help fix the issues that the internet has. And I think for, for most people, most Bitcoiners, the, the hard money aspect um, is like on a societal level, it's it's the same issue all over again, but just for um, even deeper issues, you know, outside of the internet, um, uh, a society that is run on a hard money standard, it will have secondary effects that are very hard to comprehend because arguably in the current situation where we don't have hard money and you can just make money out of thin air and just uh, uh, like governments have the power to find reasons to print trillions and trillions of dollars. Um, it, it doesn't exactly um, lead to uh, the most careful investments and the most careful spending, let's put it like that. And I think most Bitcoiners can uh, speak to that, how this changes. If you switch your own personal money to Bitcoin, you will think twice about what you're spending your money for, because uh, while we are still in this um, uh, adoption phase of Bitcoin, where uh, the a natural side effect is that your Bitcoin, like your hard money appreciates in buying power, you'll be very careful of uh, what you spend your money on. And again, as I said before, you'll you think twice about spending your Bitcoin. And I think um, currently we're still in a phase where most people in Bitcoin that have stuck around for a couple of years, they are um, they're driven for mostly i think optimistic and ideological reasons they really want to make a positive change in the world and they identified several pain points that they think that bitcoin can solve and can fix and like there's this meme going around that bitcoin fixes this and a lot of people laugh about it and a lot of people um uh, think it is a, a joke and a bad joke at that but i think there are truly some issues um as we discussed in, in this conversation now that, that bitcoin can actually solve and i think that's the main motivation that is driving this movement it's not about getting rich it's not about making money it's not about uh you know um just making an investment and then cashing out all the people that I know and I consider friends in the Bitcoin space, uh, cashing out is buying Bitcoin. You know, like <laughs> there is no cashing out. There is no going back to the US dollar. There is no going back to the euro. There is no going back to the yen. There is no going back to um, wh whatever currency you're using in your country. Um, Bitcoin is the, the money for these individuals. And um, this, this changes the perspective a lot. And I think helping other people understand this shift in perspective and helping other people to um, discover Bitcoin for themselves and make use of Bitcoin. And again, it depends on your situation, how you want to use Bitcoin. Maybe you have trouble getting a bank account and then Bitcoin can serve you very well. Maybe the currency in your country is broken and then again, Bitcoin can serve you very well. Maybe you are a niche content creator and you, you're not able to get any like, um, payment streams going for whatever reason, whatever, like <laughs> there are many reasons why this might be the case. And again, Bitcoin might serve you very well if that's the case. And I think most people that I know in Bitcoin, they are in it for the cost. They are in it to, to fix the money, not to, not to make money. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's what makes all of this so powerful and what makes it so unstoppable is you have a, a legion of people all over the world that, uh, you know, are not in it for the money, but nevertheless are rewarded for the work that they do towards securing and improving the network itself. You know, so that's, it's the incentives that line up on every level, but it's, you, you, you mentioned, you know, you think hyper Bitcoinization will happen within the decade or let's say 2029. 
to me lately in my conversations with people, I've been being a little bit more, uh, what's the word brash. Like I, I'm using the word, like I'm using words like slavery and oppression and that kind of stuff. Cause you mentioned, you know, like we, we, we live under a system today where we are being stolen from every day under the guise of the government printing money ostensibly to do things for the people, quote unquote, you know, to try to help, et cetera. But the fact is, is, and then this is why he said you, you never leave Bitcoin. You never cash out of Bitcoin because what are you going to do? You're going to leave an oppressive system where you where your wealth is literally being stolen from you on a daily basis and go to a place where it literally cannot be stolen from you. And you're going to, for some reason, go back to the former, you know, and I, I, I know most people are a bit shocked when I use the language like that they're being stolen from and they live under a system of oppression. But I think people are starting to at least be receptive to an aspect of that, which is the, that inflation is theft. And that if, 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 they're not, if they're going to insulate themselves from the harm of that theft, they need to find a way to do so. And Bitcoin is the absolute best way to do that. But I, I, you know, like I, I think I've shared this with you before, but I think we'll look back on this period and people find this a, 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 like a hyperbolic statement because we have social media and Netflix and air conditioning and things seem great. But I think we'll look back on this period, just the way we look back on the dark ages or the middle ages, you know, like when, when I say that word, most people will think of like downtrodden people kind of, you know, dirt on their face, wearing, wearing dirty clothes, maybe working the land really hard for little food and having to, you know, give most of what they make to their overlord or whatever. And we think we consider that like a really oppressive time in history where the human spirit was, was, uh, suppressed, not able to flourish. And then we have the Renaissance where we think the opposite of that, where that's where the human spirit was, Un unleashed, you know, and there was art and there was music and there was prosperity and that kind of stuff. I think we're, we're back in another period where it's where the human spirit is to a large degree suppressed. And we're, we're distracted from that truth because of all the, the different methods of distraction that we have today. And because the theft is so surreptitious that most people aren't even aware that it's happening. But I, I see no, like, I can't see a scenario in which we don't look back and, and perceive things that way, which is why there's so much motivation for something like Bitcoin, because we inherently realize that it's actually what it does is it releases the human spirit, right? We, Bitcoin is a mechanism for freeing the human spirit. And what we get as a result of that is going to be, in my opinion, unspeakably amazing, you know, and here we are right at the precipice of it, being able to contribute to it, you know, promote it, discuss it, uh, you know, all of these things. And it's such a, it's such an incredible time to be alive, I guess, is the point of that, uh, that statement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it, it's, it's really interesting how repeatable this phenomenon is. I know so many Bitcoiners that uh, went through exactly this like personal renaissance, if you want to call it like that, uh, by um, adopting a Bitcoin standard and just 
by um, discovering Bitcoin for, for themselves. And I think it relates to what we touched upon be before that um, Bitcoin just it is so insanely empowering once you realize that it is actually your thing and you can do with it whatever you want. It has this like unstoppable nature of it and you feel kind of at least in part a little bit unstoppable because of it and you can actually do what you want and you can also work on what you want. And if you it, um, like there are a lot of people that that got into Bitcoin a little bit earlier than most and just were able to, um, for one reason or another, understand it uh, earlier than most. And they were able to save up in Bitcoin. And because of the freedom that Bitcoin enables, they were able to, you know, change careers, quit the job, work in Bitcoin full time, work on art full time, you know, work on music full time, do whatever they love. And now they are making, again, like they're making a living for just uh, doing, doing these, these artworks or uh, creating music or, or uh, writing or writing books or what have you. And it's just this, this empowering thing that allows you to um, basically make use of your time as you see fit, because what is money but to store time and energy? Like that's that's the whole idea of money is that you are able to um, save up for the future, for a rainy day. You you put in time and effort and energy, and you save in money. And the sad thing about the current affairs is is that our money that we use is absolutely broken. Like you cannot. <laughs> it's actually really hard to save up money right now because of inflation and other effects. And so um, there's uh, the second order effects of that are of course that every Everyone has to be like a, a, a stock and investment uh, expert and specialist, and everyone is, you know, using apps like Robinhood and and other like almost gambling, <laughs> addictive gambling apps to uh, quote unquote invest in the stock market and and do and do other things. And I think. Um, Again, like I can, uh, I can say this from personal experience as well. Once you remove all this noise and revert back to the basics and have a sound money that you can rely upon, and I think Bitcoin is, like Bitcoin for me in my life is the most reliable thing because I think I I I I understand how resilient it is, and I know that Bitcoin will be there for me. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like Bitcoin will be there in like fifty years. So like <laughs> I'm not sure. I can I can say the same thing about my bank, for example. You know, I'm not sure if my bank will be still here in, in fifty years. I mean, I, I switched banks like ten times already, and I'm not sure if all of the the banks that I used in the past are even in business anymore. And so Bitcoin will still be here, and is Bitcoin is very stable if you look at the system itself. The price is anything but stable. But I don't care about it. I don't care about the price. I, I only care about my Bitcoin balance as expressed in Bitcoin. And I care about the system itself. And the system is insanely stable and insanely reliable. And I think this stability and this reliability is what allows people to um, pursue their dreams. And as you, uh, as you also said, it, 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 awakens, it awakens the spirit. You, know, you, you, you see that there, there is some other things are possible. <laughs> Yeah. You don't have to be a, like, you can live your life a little bit differently than you might have uh, thought a couple of years ago. And um, uh, Bitcoin empowers you to do that. And I think that's that's a very beautiful thing. And again, I, I think it's, it's insanely interesting how repeatable this phenomenon is. Uh, I know a couple hundred people now that went through this transformation and uh, are actually pursuing their dreams now and doing what they love. And it's, it's in part, at least, made possible by Bitcoin. Yeah, well, as you said, you know, it's a it's an underappreciated question and phenomenon of what to do with your time when you're free to do with it as you choose. 
you know, because we're like, we've been saying this whole time, we're in this place where, you know, the money keeps you on that hamster wheel. So you always have to be, you know, going for the next one and the next one, you can never stop and you can never think. And then the media landscape says, Oh no, you can't, you can't do this. You can't do that. Like everywhere in our lives today. And this is why I characterize it as being so oppressed. You're boxed into a certain corner. And so that's, you, you have such a narrow sliver of options that you have to contend with for who you are and the behavior that you engage in. And what Bitcoin does is it gives you a solid financial foundation to be able to come off that hamster wheel, to know that your wealth is going to be there to support you for what you want to do in the future. And then it starts to cross off all those other things that were inhibiting your behavior in some way, shape or form. Right. So now you have this, you know, instead of a tiny sliver, basically you're, you're, in, you're, getting closer and closer to almost like total freedom. And then it begs the question, well, like I've never experienced this before. Like I I've always done what I was told and, and, and operated in the box that was pretty much the parameters were set for me. But now that I'm in a world where I actually have the freedom of choice in so many domains, well, what do I want to do with my time and who actually am I, you know, fundamentally, because you realize I think a lot of people do the extent to which who you were was someone who stayed within the parameters that were just defined for them and who followed the rules that were set out for them. And in, and also in many cases, just followed the orders that they were, that were told to them. And, you know, you found your happiness in these little pockets of your sports team and your favorite music and all this kind of stuff. But by and large, you were, you know, of someone else's creation. And now that when, when all of that is removed, and it's totally your choice and your responsibility of who you want to be. What is meaningful to you to pursue? What kind of behavior do you want to embody? That's, you know, that at first that can be uncomfortable, but then it's, it's obviously incredibly liberating. And this comes to the, 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 you know, the, the theme that I discuss a lot and that we've discussed a bunch, and that is how in, engaging with this thing that is in Bitcoin how it seems to have a propensity to fundamentally change who people are. And then when a lot of people experience that change and communicate it to one another and interact with one another, well, then you get the emergence of a very novel culture off the back of those individual changes. And so I think, you know, we'll obviously be discussing that with people uh, in this, in this podcast, but that's one of the really, really, because all of this only changes, like the solutions are great. But what's actually relevant is when those solutions change individual behavior, which then has an impact on a cultural level because so many people are embodying that change. And to see the early stages of that taking place, and as you said, how consistent it is across people. I mean, it's clear, you know, it, it's there's a clear trend emerging for the, the ability for this thing to have those effects on people and to fundamentally change how they think and behave and plan for the future and, and determine their ambitions and all of that kind of stuff. It's really amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it, it might sound uh, very far-fetched and outrageous if you if you don't uh, don't live in the Bitcoin world, kind of. But uh, again, I've seen it so many times now. It seems to it seems there seems to be a, a profound truth in that. And I think it all leads back to Bitcoin being this freedom enabling technology. So uh, it it allows you to be self-sovereign. And I think um, like having the ability to to be self-sovereign in the 
monetization of your efforts. And I think in the future as well, we will have self-sovereign distribution mechanisms and, and other things where you can just, nobody can tell you what to write about. Nobody can tell you what to talk about. You can just do it. And again, coming back to the freedom of assembly aspect, uh, you can find people online as well that uh, will support you and uh, will, will not only support you in spirit, but also monetarily. I think that's a very powerful thing. And I think for for me why i am so optimistic because um it's 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 not only because of the the individual transformations i think it's also as as a consequence of all these transformations i see multiple people making this move away from this ad-based surveillance system that the internet is currently uh, build up uh, upon and i think people also that, that are in bitcoin have become more privacy aware and um think more critically about uh data gathering and and other practices that are currently the norm online and i think with just direct monetization and direct participation and direct interaction and just uh, all these these technologies that enable that i think we will move away from the current practices and i i'm i'm extremely optimistic and uh, that's also i i mean i'm not alone in this optimism our our mutual friend brady calls it uh, the uh, the coming of the, the second renaissance so the bitcoin renaissance that he always speaks the dawn, about the dawn how, of the bitcoin exactly, renaissance yeah. how we are at the dawn of the bitcoin renaissance and i think this is profoundly true because you can just all over the world see people that uh, move towards a personal bitcoin standard um they they they, they report these kind of profound transformations and uh, just feeling more in charge, uh, feeling, uh, realizing that they have these freedoms that Bitcoin enables. And this is very empowering. And of course, you know, like it's, it will be very interesting how this will play out on an even larger scale. We talked a lot about the individual right now. And I think that's, of course, every, every transformation is always on an individual level, but still we have companies now moving to a Bitcoin standard as well for all the reasons that we discussed in this conversation, you know, like, um, it's very hard to save money. And, uh, uh, as most Bitcoiners know, Michael Saylor, the CEO of MicroStrategy, he, he talked about the melting ice cube. You know, if you have a couple of million us dollars in your reserves and you have no place to, to really put them, <laughs> they will just melt away over time just because of inflation alone. And I think more and more companies will, um, realize that Bitcoin offers a solution to these kind of problems. And now with uh, nation states um, jumping on the Bitcoin bandwagon, so to speak, nation states adopting the Bitcoin standard, um, which I still am surprised about this. Like uh, to me, it's, <laughs> I, I didn't, <laughs> I did not have this on the 2021 menu. So I thought no, it, will, it will take <laughs> a, a couple more years until the first nation will proclaim that they will move to a Bitcoin standard. But now with El Salvador, we have the first nation moving towards a Bitcoin standard. And I think in like approximately 80 days from now or so, it will be in effect and um, people will be free to accept Bitcoin for the goods and services. And uh, there will be a lot of changes just because of that downstream, because companies uh, will have to get up to speed and will have to build infrastructure so they can actually receive Bitcoin payments and, and things like that. So I think, uh, again, those are very exciting times and i think there are currently a lot of puzzle pieces being built and i can't wait to you know talk about the various puzzle pieces on on all the bitcoin layers and i think it's again it's very exciting and i'm very optimistic yeah it's i, I was 
talking about this with someone recently, but 12 months ago, there was no micro strategy. There was no El Salvador, any of that kind of stuff. And I think these are all things that we had talked about in the space for a long time and we had expected. But when we talked about corporate uh, involvement, usually the conversation was like, well, corporations will put like two, three, five, 10% of their balance sheet into Bitcoin. And then the first one to come out publicly or in the first publicly traded company to come out and do it puts, you know, a hundred plus percent of their <laughs> balance sheet in Bitcoin, you know, and then we had talked about countries putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet and, and adopting Bitcoin. And as you said, probably a few years down the line, and here we have one happen in this year. So it's really impossible to imagine what 12 months from now looks like in the Bitcoin space. I mean, so much development is happening so rapidly and the reasons and the, you know, the, the case for Bitcoin is stronger and stronger all the time because the world is getting, you know, more and more out of control all the time. So, you know, I, I really cannot imagine even where we'll be in 12 months, if more countries will be on a Bitcoin standard, if, you know, I can't imagine it, but there's one thing, bef you know, before we shut this down, because you mentioned CT is going to be involved in energy and, and Bitcoin mining. And that's a, you know, it's an, an industry that they uh, are related to or ha have some involvement in. Uh, how do you think Bitcoin how does the, the showdown between Bitcoin and the, the energy and the environmental uh, issue gets resolved, if it does at all? Hmm. I think at the heart of the issue is the question, is Bitcoin useful or not? And I think that's the only question that needs answering. Um, and I think that's the only question that will be able to resolve this issue. Because if you think that Bitcoin is useful, just like you think, you know, that refrigerators or smartphones are useful, then the energy use is warranted. If you think that uh, Bitcoin is absolutely useless, then every, like every amount of energy, <laughs> it doesn't matter how low, uh, will be too much. And I think this is at the, the understanding sound money and the societal benefits that sound money will bring um, is uh, uh, actually at the heart of this issue. It's not the energy use per se, because um, society agrees to use energy for all kinds of things, you know, heating, rooftop, whirlpools. It's something we agree upon. Okay, that's nice. It's nice to be in this whirlpool. So it's fine to uh, 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 use all this energy to heat up the whirlpool. <laughs> and so it's not about the energy use uh, per se. Um, it's also... I think there is, it's a very easy argument to make. And there is a lot of confusion about Bitcoin's energy mix and energy usage. Again, Bitcoin is the buyer of last resort when it comes to energy. And Bitcoin, most of the time, does not take energy from the grid because it uses stranded energy. So it's not that, uh, you know, the energy would be necessarily used by someone else all the time. And I think a lot of people are just miseducated on how energy distribution and energy storage and uh, uh, energy in general works. Because I feel like when I read um, uh, opinion pieces in mainstream media outlets about Bitcoin's energy use, uh, the argument is always made that, uh, you know, if Bitcoin would not use this energy, we could use it for something else. And this is most of the time, this is just not the case because it's just stranded hydro energy somewhere very remotely in China. Nobody else could use this energy you know it's not like we could you know ship some batteries to this power plant and uh, charge up all the batteries and just ship them out again and like it wouldn't make any sense so i think again it boils down to 
is Bitcoin useful? If your answer to that is yes, then the energy use is uh, more than warranted. And also a misunderstanding about how energy and Bitcoin mining works. I agree with you. I think the challenge is, is that the people who are less incentivized to acquiesce to Bitcoin's value, i.e. the incumbent you know, financial and political powers of the world, those are the ones most in control of the environmental narrative as well. So I can see them continuing to deride Bitcoin and not acknowledge its value and therefore easily use the environmental uh, quote unquote concerns to, uh, to inhibit Bitcoin, let's say. Yeah, I think that's true. I, but again, I think it's, it's such an easy argument to make and refuting it requires a lot of nuance. It's also that, uh, the Bitcoin's energy use is very transparent. So, you know, you know, you kind of can calculate how much energy, uh, the Bitcoin system as a whole uses all the time. And this is not true for anything else. Like you cannot, it's very hard to calculate how much, you know, the Christmas industry is using, uh, every, <laughs> every winter or <laughs> how much, uh, you know, how much, um, uh, central banks, uh, are, uh, like how much energy are central banks using and yeah. So it's, it's very hard to make any kind of comparisons and again like it's it's not like bitcoin is stealing away energy from anything else uh, most of the time it is making use of otherwise stranded energy and that's just understanding those things i think will um shift the perspective of most people and i hope that just with either curiosity or with pain more and more people will understand uh, the usefulness of bitcoin and once you understand the usefulness of bitcoin uh, the energy use is secondary because it's actually it's energy put to good use it secures the network and if bitcoin yeah. will become the the money of the internet and in the end the money of the planet then securing the monetary base of humanity uh, i think it's worth to spend some gigawatt hours on that <laughs> amen uh well, Gigi, that might be a good place to put a pin in this for now. Uh, I think we've given people a good rundown of, uh, you know, the motivations behind this new pod, closing the loop and what it's about and, you know, what we'll be discussing. Any last uh, comments or words before we shut it down? Yeah, I, I, I didn't think that we would get uh, this philosophical that quickly, but it, it seems like Bitcoin has this effect on people that you actually... Uh, <laughs> do some detours into the nature of money and society and the individual and uh, how the properties of money shape these individuals and society at large. And I think like, I'm looking forward to discussing all these things uh, um, just in the wider space and uh, hearing the guests uh, um, talk about these things too. But uh, I'm, again, I'm, I'm extremely bullish on the unseen aspects of Bitcoin, things that are currently not discussed very widely, because I, I still think that most people view Bitcoin as some, uh, you know, like speculative asset. some, you know, basically some people won the lottery and those are the Bitcoiners or something like that. And it's, it's, it's seen as, as a stock by most people, or it's seen as uh, some funny internet money still, or it's seen as uh, some dark market money that's only used by criminals. And, um, I couldn't care less about all these narratives, but I, what I really care about is all the things that are currently not seen and understood by most things like streaming satoshis on the lightning network it's already here and it already works and it will revolutionize how payments are done online and even you know not only not only on the internet but also at the point of sale 
systems. You know, you, you just, you will tap your smartphone wherever you are to buy some bananas and it will use Bitcoin underneath and it will just work. It will revolutionize um, content distribution and just direct audience interaction online. I'm sure of that. You know, I, I already got a glimpse into this future. It will just take some, some, uh, a little while to build out, you know, like uh, <laughs> engineering is not done overnight. And I, uh, I think, I think all these things are insanely exciting and I can't wait to uh, listen in to the discussions that will be had on this podcast. And I'm just insanely excited about the future and very optimistic uh, about the Bitcoin future we are heading towards. Yeah, well, I share that excitement. It's uh, it's incredible what's on the horizon. And uh, as always, it's a pleasure to be here with you and sharing it with you and getting to hear some of your ideas and uh, getting to be a beneficiary of all your amazing work. So, uh, I do appreciate that as I'm sure so many others do. And, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on and we'll, we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me and, uh, enjoy the rest of the night. Thanks brother. You too. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you'd like to follow Gigi on Twitter, his handle is at Dergigi, D-E-R-G-I-G-I. And to stay up to date on his book, visit 21waysbook.com. That's 21-W-A-Y-S-B-O-O-K.com. To learn more about CT, visit ct.io, S-E-E-T-E-E.io. And to connect with me, hit me up on Twitter at John K. Vallis. I'd love to hear from you. See ya.